Today I'm reading from Proverbs. It's Proverbs 11, verse 25. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Also, there is chapter 23, 4 and 5. Do not weary yourselves to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like the eagle that flies upward to heaven. Well, Jesus said more about money than anything as recorded in the Gospels. But even before those quotations from Jesus, Proverbs also said a lot about finances. Hence the outline in the bulletin. I'd encourage you to refer to your bulletin there. And you see in the yellow stripes on each side there, you have an outline. And I know you have some 30 verses there. Don't panic. We're going to get through this. It's going to be about the same length of any other sermon I ever preach. But I wanted to mention, and and I so appreciate the responses that we've had to this. In fact, uh, Mary Jane, by request, has had... Uh, the, the outlines printed up, and I know we had the, the one from last week in the bulletin, but my understanding is that they are uh, in, in, on just a piece of paper out there uh, in the foyer. So if you want to uh, get a copy of that to take home with you, you're welcome uh, to do that. But we have some scripture references in here, more than just some. And we found out quickly there was not going to be any room for quotes, for the actual quotes of verses like we had Last week, So I'm going to ask that you listen closely, and, and when I get to the particular uh, verse in uh, the outline, just, just prick your ears a little bit more and listen to me, and you can go back and look up these verses later on. What we learn with Proverbs and Jesus is that God isn't just concerned with how much you give. God's also concerned with how you earn it, how you spend it, how you invest it. And your attitude towards it. I love that verse, uh, Keith, where it talked about uh, the master's not so much concerned about what you give, but what you keep. I just thought that was, that was great. And God's concerned about that and all these other matters as well. Now, some of us need to hear a word about sound financial management, as Steve shared earlier on so well. Just last Tuesday, you might have seen on the AP wire... Uh, It was reported that more than 35% of Americans have debts and unpaid bills that have been reported to collection agencies. Obviously, that affects credit scores. It can hurt job prospects. But some of us also need to hear a word about the risks of poor financial management or being preoccupied with money. And we need to keep in mind, and you probably know this, money is not in and of itself good or evil. It is ethically neutral. It can be used for good or for evil. We can have the particular attitude towards it that is good or evil. Which brings us to the outline. And if you love Westerns, uh, Don Sullivan and others in here, it just kind of came to me and roll with it. I thought of these two movies because of how it worked out. The Good, the Bad, the Ugly, and The Magnificent Seven. I know we have a steer skull there and I think a cactus on the other side. I was hoping she'd put Clint Eastwood and Steve McQueen in there, but she decided not to. But Proverbs identifies, first of all, four good ways of acquiring money, four good ways of acquiring it. First of all, hard work. We talked about hard work just last week. Proverbs 10.4 says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 14.23, All hard work brings a profit. 
But mere talk leads only to poverty. We talked last week that, that God is the original worker. He worked as he created the universe. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Well, we are created in God's image, and we are to emulate that image, so we are called to be workers as well and have a strong work ethic, and that's a great way of acquiring finances. Nothing, nothing really replaces a strong work ethic when it comes to acquiring money. Secondly, skill. Uh, we sang about skill earlier on, actually, and using our skills as we are good stewards of money. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not, they will not serve before officials of low rank. What that's saying in our modern-day terminology would be develop your skill. Whatever skill you have, develop it, and you will attain success. If you're blessed with it, develop it. Be a good steward of it, which obviously makes you think of Jesus' parable of the what? The talents. The man who had the five talents went and invested it wisely and managed it wisely, and he doubled it. The man with one talent decided simply to bury it, and he paid a price for it and was condemned for that. So hard work and skill are two great ways of acquiring finances. Thirdly, generosity, and by this I mean helping the needy, the truly needy, acquire finances. Proverbs 22.9 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 11.25, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And, and even with that word refresh there, you realize it's not just talking about if you're generous with others, you're going to make money. I mean, there are people on TV who try to swindle people and peddle the gospel with that kind of theology, which is as corrupt as can be. It's really talking about the kind of remuneration that really is spiritual and abundant. You know, we're talking about helping the justifiably needy acquire money and helping them learn how to acquire it upon uh, themselves as well, being more self-sufficient. But by doing that, you will be blessed and prosper. Perhaps monetarily, but perhaps not. You will be blessed. So many of us in here have been on mission trips or given of ourselves in some way. And as we do that, who really is the person who is usually blessed the most? It's us. It really is us. And it's really experiencing what Christ talked about with that abundant life in John 10.10. You refresh others monetarily and you will be refreshed spiritually in Christ. And finally, a final way of, of receiving uh, money is by inheritance leaving, or, or acquiring money is inheritance leaving. Giving money to those who are soon to come in the next generation. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Now, um, uh, you might have seen this bumper sticker, and I think it gives some people a chuckle. It says something like, we're spending our children's inheritance. You ever seen one of those bumper stickers? And some might chuckle at that. Let me just tell you, and Steve alluded to this, it's tough being a college graduate right now, okay? And and I don't see baby busters and millennials uh, laughing at something like that. They are at a tough time. In fact, I don't think they think that that bumper sticker is very funny at all understandably so. We're talking about stewardship, not just to our own kids, biological or adoptive or whatever. You know, we're talking about a whole generation we need to be good stewards of, if you will. And we've got to understand that it's stewardship, not just to our immediate kids, but to the next generation and generations. Now, we've talked about four good ways of acquiring money. 
Let's talk about three bad ways of acquiring money. First of all, stealing. Y'all still with me in the outline, by the way? You with me? Can I get a witness on that? Okay, good. Proverbs 10.2 says, Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. It's talking about ill-gotten treasures. Now, you could read, I could read all of uh, Proverbs 1, uh, verses 10 through 19. I will not do that. But basically what it's saying is, do not get pulled into this temptation to steal alongside someone else who wants you to commit theft. It's really summarized in verse 13 where it says, let's do this and we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Stealing is wrong, we know that, but I am not, and hear me on this, I'm not just talking about petty theft. Uh, Is there white-collar crime going on that can be even more devastating? Absolutely. In 2013, USA Today, I'll never forget the byline, it says, survey finds Wall Street ethics in decline. There was a survey conducted by a New York law firm of 250 financial professionals, and it revealed the following. 52% of them felt it likely that their competitors had engaged in unethical or illegal activity to gain a market edge. 29% believed financial service professionals may need to engage in unethical or illegal activity in order to be successful. And finally, 24%, this is about... A fourth of the people said they would likely engage in illegal insider trading to make $10 million if they could get away with it. And, and, and this is what the survey concluded. And this, I'm just reading the quote. A particularly troubling and consistent finding throughout the survey is that Wall Street's future leaders, the young professionals who will one day assume control of the trillions of dollars that the industry manages, have lost their moral compass. And they accept corporate wrongdoing as a necessary evil. And finally, they fear reporting this misconduct. They don't want to be a whistleblower. Now, you hear that, and I know that data once removes you from it. But some of you face this challenge, and I know that. I'll never forget, we had a men's group a number of years ago go through a book by my friend Travis Collins called Tough Calls. And I remember we were talking uh, one Wednesday evening about it and and where it talks about uh, living ethically in the workplace. And some of you shared that, gosh, I face this every day. I face temptations to cut corners, uh, to kind of rip people off, to cheat my way through this, to lie my way through this. So, So this is not just data on paper. A lot of us out there in the corporate world are challenged by this and are, might even be tempted by this, and understandably so, and it's a challenge for us to withstand the temptation. Now, another bad way of acquiring money, I just said it a moment ago, is lying. Proverbs 11.1, 1, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. In our day, it would say, you know, don't lie in order to rip off people. You know, don't cheat them. God detests that. Be fair. Show integrity in the work that you do, particularly when it relates to money. Proverbs 21.6 says, A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Just trust me, as I said last week, you will pay a price for this now or later. You can just, you know, if you don't pay for it now, trust me, one day you will. Thirdly, quick schemes. Get rich quick schemes. Pyramid schemes we talked about last week. And you just can't fall prey to those. Proverbs 13.11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Kind of reminds me of what Steve was saying about just incrementally and very methodically, you know, follow your money, track it, track your budget, track your savings, track your spending. Do that, 
and you will be in good shape. Don't try to get it in some dishonest way or some fleeting way, like a quick scheme. Proverbs 28.20, a faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. How many times do people pay the price for being so eager to get rich that they do something wrong or they become gullible for someone's scheme and pay a major price for it? In Proverbs 28.22, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. Okay, so we've covered the good, the bad, and finally, unfortunately, the ugly dangers of money fixation, being preoccupied with money. First of all, pride. Proverbs 18.11, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. What is that saying? People who acquire wealth can fool themselves into thinking that they are impenetrable. You know, that nothing could take that money away or it could never affect them personally. So, you know, there's even people who think, well, I've acquired all this, so there's no need to manage it. There's no need to be a good steward of it, to give as I should. And that often leads to a painful fall. Pride. Secondly, false security. False sense of security. Proverbs 11.4. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You know, in the long run, your money won't matter. I know you hear that, but do you really embrace that reality? In the long run, your money won't matter. You know what will matter? Meeting your maker. Let's just get, get right to it. Meeting your maker will. Don't your, put your trust in material things because they rust away and die. Steve quoted that passage that you and I will read together uh, at the end of the sermon. Build up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. A green leaf is healthy. It's thriving. It's the result of righteousness. It reflects that abundant life that Jesus talks about in the Gospels. A third one is hoarding. And don't think that this, there's no way this could apply to me. I know there's a TV show called Hoarders. I think I've never seen it. I probably don't want to see it. But, but it's about people who become just compulsive, you know, obsessive about saving everything and, and just cramming every nook and cranny in their home with stuff that they really don't need. Well, we might not have cl- a cluttered basement, but we might obsess about what things we have and how to keep them and how to get more. And I've always appreciated the quote by Benjamin Franklin. He said, money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. Think about that. It's just this never-ending cycle. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes another one. You know, not to give... Now, someone has said, and I want you to just think about this, not to give what you really can give to God through the church. Is that a form of hoarding? It's been suggested by some New Testament scholars, by the way. That's a form of hoarding, and I found that interesting to come across that. Not to give what God expects you to give and to keep what God expects you to keep could be hoarding. People who focus too much on material things could be hoarders. And and again, we've got to be careful with that. People who do not give or don't focus on hoarding material when the favor of righteous people. That's really what Proverbs 11.26 says. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. You know, if you are a good person whose character is far above uh, uh, precious jewels, as it says in Proverbs, people will bless you. They will pray for you. They will think so highly of you. If you're not that way, don't think that you've got quite as many friends as you might think. Fourthly, wasting. 
wasting. Proverbs 21.10, the wise store up choice food in olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. We can be so wasteful, and Scripture calls us to be frugal. I even think of Jesus. Remember what Jesus did, told the disciples to do after the feeding of the 5,000? What do they do? Hey, are there any leftovers? Let's get some baskets. You know, collect them. That's what he did. They didn't, they didn't waste it. Third, excuse me, fifthly, worry. Proverbs 13, 8. A person's riches may ransom their life, but the poor do not deal with threat, threatening rebukes. Now, that's a little confusing parable if you don't understand what it's saying. Let me read it again, but then I'm going to give you today's Living Bible version, which I think is really good. A person's riches may ransom their life, but the poor do not deal with threatening rebukes. I love this paraphrase of it. Being kidnapped and held for ransom never worries the poor man. Isn't that great? That's really what it's saying. The more you have, the more you worry about keeping it. The less you have, oftentimes, the less you have to lose. I think of the Stoic philosopher Epictetus who said, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Now, does this mean give up everything? No, it's, it's a matter of perspective. Is money more important to you than God, bottom line? That was Jesus' question to the rich young ruler. He, he gave him an imperative, actually, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Was Jesus meaning that literally? The answer is no. Should the man give up everything? No. Jesus often spoke hyperbolically. He's doing it right there. He's telling the man to give up his preoccupation with money and exchange it for preoccupation with serving Christ. And he's really fixing that in the form of a question. Are you willing to do that? And are we? really has to do with the matter of the right perspective, which takes us to the first of seven magnificent ways to be faithful with money. Go over to the the magnificent seven now in your outline. Seven magnificent ways to be faithful with money. First of all, a healthy perspective. Don't desire too much or too little. This is one of my favorite Proverbs in all of Proverbs, Proverbs 37 through 9. Listen to this. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And keep me neither, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You've got to have a healthy balance. You know, don't feel like you've got to have too much and you wind up saying, who is this God anyway? I'm so impenetrable. I'm, I'm so, uh, so superhuman. I don't even need God. But you don't need to be so irresponsible with your money as well that you become not just a slave to it, but you might become dishonest and steal and dishonor God in that way. Think about the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. One of the best-known verses that he ever penned was in Philippians 4, where it says, I can do all things, what is it? Through Christ who strengthens me. Leading up to that, what is he talking about? Hey, Philippians, thank you for this good gift that uh, Epaphroditus brought to me. But you know what? It's not that I necessarily need it. And he says this. I know what it's like to have much. I know what it's like to have little. I know what it's like to go in there with a lot of money. And I know what it's like to go in there with not a lot of money at all. But in any and all things, I have learned the secret to contentment, which is what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is preoccupied first with serving Christ. So it's that healthy balance that reminds Paul of what really matters, who really matters, and that should be our way of living as well. Second magnificent of the seven, disciplined budgeting. 
Proverbs 13, 18. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For us, it would be to our budget. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats brim over with new wine. It's saying in our modern day, give careful attention to your personal inventory. Give careful attention to what you do have. Give personal attention to your budget. Now, don't obsess over it, but be responsible, be a good steward, and keep up with it, and manage it wisely. Again, going back to the parable of the talents. Then there's generous giving. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. First fruits there is the key word. Give to God first, then to those in need, and then you can keep the rest. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. We talked about that earlier and applies there too with generous giving. Fourthly, reluctant lending. Uh, you talked about borrowing, Steve, and which applies to lending as well. Now, now I want to make sure you understand, as I've said before, Proverbs are general maxims, general principles. They're not specific to every situation. There might be a situation where lending your personal money to someone is in order. But hear me and hear Proverbs, hear the Word of God. In most cases, you should consider what Proverbs says. What does Proverbs say? Proverbs eleven fifteen. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to shake hands and pledge is safe. What did Jesus say? Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And it's interesting. There it's talking about lending to a stranger. Now let me take you to where it talks about your neighbors, people you know. Proverbs seventeen eighteen. One who has no sense shakes hands and pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. <laughs> Isn't it interesting Proverbs covers lending to strangers and to neighbors? Now, again, that's a general statement. There might be some specific urgent situation where you need to give a loan to somebody. But, again, you've got to be very cautious, very discerning. Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove when it comes to that. That's what Proverbs is saying. Fifthly, debt mastering. This is kind of the downside of not giving loans, but to receiving loans. Steve talked about this, taking out loans. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Don't become a slave to your loans, is what it's saying. Again, 35% of Americans, as of last Tuesday, are in debt, debt that has been reported to collection agencies, which will have an impact on your credit report, future jobs, and on and on. Con, excuse me, contentment focusing, contentment focusing, Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That's another great proverb, great image there. Again, I think of Paul in Philippians 4 saying, I know what it's like to have a lot, I know what it's like to have a little, but basically what he's saying is money doesn't last. Your relationship with Jesus does. You know, give your life to what lasts. One of my all-time favorite quotes about money is Will Rogers' quote, 
I loved it when I first came across this. Will Rogers said, Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. Love that. You know, why waste your time and your money and your preoccupation and your magnificent obsession on impressing others with what you have? Is that not so incredibly superficial, painfully shallow anyway? That's not the direction, that's not the focus that we should have. And finally, and we talked about it earlier, inheritance planning, Proverbs 13, 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. In other words, this is looking out for the generations to come. And again, we should always be concerned for them, which leads us to a good stopping point. But what I'd like for you to do, and again, I would encourage you to go back through these Proverbs, but for now... As a litany together, a shared litany, please refer to these two passages from Proverbs and from the Gospel of Matthew in the lower right-hand corner of your outline. And just as a word of commitment, I would ask that we read both of these together. First of all, Proverbs 22.4. Read that with me. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Let's say that one more time. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. What does Proverbs 1 say? What is the beginning of all wisdom? Does anybody know? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Join me in one reading of Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let us pray together. You say a lot about money, O God. You said a lot about it in the book of Proverbs and in other places in the Old Testament. And your son Jesus talked about it more than anything. As Steve said earlier, some 800 references in your holy word. My goodness, we need to give our attention to these words and apply them to our lives. Make us good stewards of that which we receive monetarily, O God. And help us to realize again that you're not just concerned with with what we do with it, but what our attitude is toward it and how we invest it and, and how we earn it how we spend it, that you're every bit as concerned, if not more concerned, with the money that we keep and not the money that we give. Challenging words for us, O God. Make us better stewards beginning now of all of these. Ultimately, we ask that what we do with it would glorify you in everything that we do. We pray these things in your name. Amen.